Alright, so if you will turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to just quickly look at one verse. Matthew 3, and we're going to look, uh, look at verse 11. Now, last week we, we also came from Matthew with the transfiguration. And, uh, and Matthew is this wonderful gospel. It's the first gospel that we come to in our English Bible. And it is a powerful book of the good news of Jesus. Notice this one verse here in Matthew chapter 3 and in verse 11. It says this. I, this is John the Baptist speaking. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Your word is matchless. There's nothing like it. We want to hear from it today. We want to receive from it today. We want to be nourished from your word today. And we want to respond as doers of the word and not just hearers only. We pray in your most holy name. Amen. I want to lead us in just a quick reflection, really, on two words, water and fire. What Matthew's trying to do here in his gospel, right up front, to a Jew during this time period would have been recognizable immediately. And what he was trying to do was he was trying to show that a new Moses was on the scene. That this really was the start of a new exodus. I mentioned a couple of those things last week, but I want to reemphasize to you that what Matthew in his mind is seeing as he looks back at the life of Jesus, he being a disciple, Levi, who's also called Matthew, he looking back says, you know what? I see what God's doing because God always does this sort of thing. He always, and it's a big word, but he recapitulates. He redoes things. Just like Pentecost is a celebration not of the Tower of Babel where languages are confused, but rather now we're at a place where the Holy Spirit descends where multiple languages are being used, but everyone is hearing the same thing. You see what God always likes to do? Just like with Adam, remember, Paul, Paul sees this same sort of concept in the Bible. And he says, you know what? I see what you did. I see what you did, God. I see what you're doing. Adam failed and it influenced everybody, didn't it? Every single person in this room. Original sin, the sin nature, is passed down because of Adam and Eve's sin. One man, sin entered the world, Paul said. But also... Get this, this is what God did. He sent another Adam, didn't he? And this time, not Adam equals death, but rather Jesus equals life for all people. In other words, what Jesus did, just like Adam did, influenced everyone. And it does, in fact. Because we believe that God is working in every human heart, no matter where they are today, including right here in our seats. And so Matthew now is, oh, he sees it. 
He sees it and he's writing. I can imagine, you know how when you get on a thought train, it, it, you get pumped up about it. And he's probably writing a little faster, pressing a little harder as he writes and says, you know what? This is the new Moses. I see what's happening here. And you'll see it unfold in Matthew in the first few chapters. It's this idea that all of a sudden there comes one who has a word from God. And then in the Beatitudes in chapter 5, it's basically like the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. He ascends a mountain. They're saying, okay, I get that. Moses ascended a mountain. And then the people come. They want to hear what God has to say. And he gives the Beatitudes. But then he goes further than the law, doesn't he, on that mountain? In other words, he takes the law into himself. And he says, you know what? The law says don't, commit, don't commit adultery. But I say, they would have held their breath when he said that, by the way. He, whoa, you say compared to the law. No, no, no. This is, this is the holy book. No, no, no. You, you, how are you equal to the word of God? He says, no, no, I say, even if you do it in your heart, it's done. The law says, don't murder. But if you murder people because you hate them, you hate people, you murdered them. In other words, people think, oh, wow, the law is abolished in the New Testament. You've not read your Bible. No, 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 no. What happens is the externals are not the most important thing. It's the internals. And the internals are not as visible as the externals are. The law doesn't change. God's instructions don't change. His moral law never changes. It just gets taken from the outside and now written on the heart, Paul says. Not with tablets of stone, but on our hearts. And so he pushes it to the heart of the matter. And this is what he's showing. There's a new Moses in town. There's actually someone greater than Moses. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And John introduces Jesus, of course. All four Gospels, right, predominantly have him at the beginning. So all the, the three synoptic Gospels and the fourth Gospel, John, all have John the Baptist... Up front, in your face, predominant. Because he introduces Jesus. For 400 years now in Israel, there has not been the voice of God heard from a prophet. Now people are saying, oh, that's definitely the voice of God there. That's definitely the word of God being spoken. And so, with this new exodus, comes the symbols that surrounded the original exodus, which is what? Water. Which is what? Fire. Do you remember this? From your Old Testament? The study of the exodus? What are they, they, they're escaping the Egyptians. What do they come upon? The Red Sea. This body of water, and all of a sudden, here comes the chariots. They said, Moses, why did you bring us out here to die, man? He says, wait and see the salvation of God. The waters part. They pass through the water into new life, into freedom. Sound like baptism to you? It should. It's the imagery of baptism. 
You pass through the waters into new life, into freedom in Christ. No longer your own, but His. But it doesn't end there, right? There's the pillar of fire, and then there's lots of fire when they get to Sinai. God redeems them out of Egypt, and then He reveals Himself to them. And He does the same thing in our life, doesn't He? He saves us, then He begins to reveal how we are to walk with Him. We cannot know how to walk with God until He frees us from our slavery. We don't look out on the world of those who do not know God in judgment of condemnation. They can't know His ways until they are free. We love those people. But it's inside the church. It's the religious people who say they've been freed that don't live it out that God is concerned with today. That God judges today. You know better and the power is there and you say no. You say, I never said anything. That's the point. That's the point. You never said anything. Sins of omission, the things we don't do, are just as sinful as the things we do. If you think Christianity is about not doing a laundry list of things, you've missed the boat. You've been deceived by the enemy. And it is one of his greatest tools that he uses. He turns salvation into a works-based checklist. I did this, I did that, God, now save me. No, (laughs) I think you've missed the point here. He wants you. What are you going to add to anything? What am I going to add to anything? Nothing. For without Him, we can do nothing. But with Him, (laughs) with Him, we can do all things. Do you believe that? With Him, we can do all things. And and it's tough. It's tough. Our job is to remain faithful to Him. Faithful to Christ. For what John introduces is that He is the bridegroom and we His bride. Just as Israel was called the bride and God the groom... He said of them, you cheated on me. Over and over again. Hosea is an entire book about Israel cheating on God. Prostituting themselves to idolatry. And in today's church, there are those who would prostitute themselves to the things of the world rather than Christ. Let us stay true to the one who loves us. And has gone and bought us out of the slavery. He's untangled us from the mess that we got in ourselves. It's not Adam's fault. It's my fault. It's your fault. According to the scriptures. There's none righteous. No, not one. And yet the good news is this. We can be righteous. He invites us into his righteousness. Water fire. These are the symbols of salvation. 
Do you see what is before you today? Water and fire. And it's here every Sunday as a reminder on this altar of the great acts of salvation in the Old Testament and the great acts of salvation in the New Testament and the great acts of salvation that should be happening in our own hearts. We want you to remember. Don't you love that Christianity is not just a head knowledge? It's not about setting under a terebinth tree or a Bodhi tree, as the Buddha did, and meditating our way into some type of self-serving salvation, of a freeing of our mind. Free my mind. No, no, only Jesus can free our mind. But he's not just concerned with our mind. We're more than a head. When we make faith about mental ascent alone, we've missed the boat. It's sailing over here and we're still on the shore, not going home. Because the faith must move from our head to our heart. From our heart to our hands. God wants to involve the whole person in salvation. And he does. He does. He came himself, didn't he? He could have just sent down some precepts, right? He could have just sent down the text message alone. He sends the text and he comes himself. He shows up. You know, water has this cleansing ability. Uh, As I was at two different camps this summer ministering there, uh, I could sense through smell which of the junior youth weren't using water as a cleansing ability. Uh, it became very apparent to me which ones had not used water all week, maybe. And I noticed that they were wearing the same clothes every day, um, which is troublesome. It became stale. Because water, we need water. We need washings of clothes and washings of our body. And we're constantly doing this to this old body of ours. And we must. And this is really where even oil in the ancient world comes into play. Essential oils, anybody into that? I mean, this is where this comes in, is because of the smell, even. Even after you've washed, there needs to be oil applied, which is also a representation of the Spirit upon our lives to be a sweet-smelling fragrance. Because, quite frankly, we all stink. It's true of all of us. I know you look nice and you look great, and I couldn't imagine you smelling putrid, but the reality of it is... We all smell and we all stink until Christ gets a hold of our life. And then he can apply the oil. Forgot to put on deodorant today. You're like, oh, uh, hmm, well, I won't have you praying for me today. But actually, my wife delivered some deodorant uh, to me. But it's just one of these things. We have to apply things to our life, don't we? And God wants to apply a sweet-smelling aroma of his spirit. This is the new exodus. We're coming to a new river of life. But we've got to cross the river into his promises. You remember what happens to Israel, right? They get up. They cross through the Red Sea. God saves them in a mighty way. They go to Mount Sinai. He reveals himself, comes down in fire and all this kind of stuff. And then they move on. And you think, boy, these people, 
they're going to march right in there, buddy, and stomp these cats in the ground in Canaan. What do they do? When they get to another body of, of water, a very small one compared to the Red Sea, the Jordan, they're unwilling to cross it. They send the spies in, you know the story, and they say no. God says, I can give you these, but they say, no, no. How many of us sit here today and God has done some mighty things in our life? Some things that if we really look at it, we can't deny that it was God. And yet, we find ourselves in a place where we're unwilling to cross something smaller than what we've already come through. He wants us to go the rest of the way. It's not all about just forgiveness of sins. He wants all of us. Not to be a cheating wife, but instead to be holy. A holy bride for him. And we must be. And water symbolizes this through, for us as we pass through the waters of baptism. John the Baptist will say, look, I'm baptizing for the forgiveness of sins. But there's one coming, isn't there? who will baptize not just with water for the forgiveness of sins, but instead with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, just in the same way that you pass through the waters of baptism, now we pass through the waters that the Spirit would bring to our life. And the reality is that some of us are dried up. Some of us are well as we're on empty. We're dried up. And Jesus, just as he did to the woman at the well, says, I can give you some water. That'll never dry up. It'll become a spring in you that ushers out, gushes out for others to enjoy. And all around you will be life and not death. I'm reading through Isaiah, and he has this wonderful image where he says, I'm going to do something new, Isaiah, and it's really cool what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually put water in the desert. There's going to be palm branches. He lists like six different trees. I'm like, I'm a tree guy. I like trees, you know. Tolkien like trees. Lewis like trees. I like trees. God likes trees, doesn't he? He says, I'm going to put trees in the desert. Because I'm going to make, I'm going to do a miracle. And that is, I'm going to bring water from a place where water shouldn't come. And man, I just, I needed to hear that because I'm not my own source of strength. Trust me. I've been to the end of myself multiple times. And there's nothing there. When I get down to the bottom of where I am, there's just nothing there. And all I have to do is look up. And his rain clouds are ready to pour down upon me. But as long as I protect myself and hide myself, I'll never get wet. I'll never become a well spring of the Holy Spirit. But we must. We must. It's fascinating. The Jordan River is... It, Jordan actually means down. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but the Jordan River is one of the lowest places on the face of the earth. If you look up lowest place on the face of the earth on your cell phone or speak it into Google, 
uh, what will come up is the Dead Sea. Guess what feeds the Dead Sea? The Jordan River. It's the Dead Sea because, well, there's nothing that grows, what is it, 1,200 and something feet under sea level. There's nothing that happens. There's no life there. Way down there in the depths, down at the bottom, is just death. Everybody in the ancient world, anybody that writes, all the myth makers, all the religions of the world, see going down as not a good thing. I'm going down to the grave. I'm going down to Hades, to Sheol, to hell. Down. No, down in yourself. People always talk about students, you know, college people. Talk about, you know, I'm trying to find myself. I'm trying to really get down to the depths of who I... It's nothing. I can tell you what's there. And it's not just because your brain is vapid, uh, because you don't have much knowledge. It's because at the bottom of our hearts is just nothing. We don't really have the source of life within us. Because the source of life was breathed in us. Was it not breathed within us at the beginning by God himself? He formed us, much makes us different than the animals. He gave us his spirit, resuscitated us, if you will, from just clay and dirt to something with divinity. There's an author that I love to read from World Religions. He says, we're made of dust and divinity. That's the stuff of humanity. Dust and divinity. But you're not divine. I'm not divine. We must receive the divine. That divine spark. We must be lit for Jesus. How do you like that? Which brings us to my second point is fire. Water and fire. He must light the fuse to our life. And only he can. And once lit, we must tend it. He gives us this responsibility. He gives the priest this responsibility in the Old Testament. And they keep a fire lit in the tabernacle and then in the temple for all time. And every Sunday all around the world, churches will light a candle to remember this is his flame. And we're going to burn it until he comes back again when everything will be light. Jerome was a light in my life. He used to come to church when we were at Goot's place. And he, I met him at the college and, and I just immediately knew he had the spark of life in him. He had the fire of God in him. Just, I mean, just to be around him was life. And light. He died. He died about a year and a half ago. I keep his little card that I got at his uh, funeral memorial service at my office, and I look at him every once. In a while. He's, he's on the front cover, so I look at him every once in a while. One of the things that was said at that funeral, I think Casey went with me. We were there. I never heard before, but it made a deep impact on me. It said, "When a believer, when a saint." dies and their light goes out it's not because the light goes out but rather it's because there's no more need for the light when the dawn has come when the sun rises we can turn the lamps out and for all of us we're in that in between aren't we now we think it's the first rays we see the first rays of of dawn but the sun hasn't fully come up yet 
we're still burning our lamps. We're still being filled with the oil of the Spirit, burning our lamps, all of us. We have to tend to that, just like the story of the virgins with their oil. We have to make sure we've got enough oil of the Spirit in us to burn so that when the bridegroom comes, we'll be ready. We'll rather enter the wedding. The sun pops up. We can turn off the lamps. It's over. No, no need for it. It's like running a flashlight in broad daylight. No need for that. No need for that. But for now, we burn the fire of God so that others might see. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Fire represents at least three things in the Bible. Quickly, his presence. We just, in one of our readings, it said, seek the face of God. It was the psalm reading. Seek the face. Face in Hebrew is just presence. His presence. Anytime, in, anytime you run across presence in the Old Testament, is face. It's interchangeable. Face, presence. The same, same word in Hebrew. Face. You want to seek the face of God, you're seeking his presence. When we ask for the presence of God to be with us, we're talking about, we want his face right here shining on us. Now, as a kid, there were times I didn't want my dad's face looking at me. Particularly when I was in church making a cool joke to my friends, and they were all laughing. Those were the times where I all of a sudden felt eyes burning through me. And I would do this number right here, kind of look up through my eyebrows, and he was just like an eagle. And I saw sharp claws. I don't know if he had claws, but I saw them. And I thought he was going to pounce at any moment. And he would have had we not been in church... Afterward, he did. He did. And when we're doing bad, what do we do? We do like my son Baylor used to do. We put our head down. He's, <laughs> Or we become downcast because of what we've done. We. If you're found out in your sin, in your marriage, with another friend, you betrayed a friend... This is our reaction. But here's the good news. The Bible says that God is the lifter of our heads. Takes us by the chin and lifts our heads up to look at his face. Look into the face, the presence of God. For he's looking at us. And he's not just looking in condemnation, but instead in grace and mercy. He actually loves to forgive. So, I mean, does anybody just like, I'm so ready to be offended so that I can forgive somebody? That's God, though. Are you just so eager to forgive people? Like, I cannot wait to the next opportunity where I can forgive someone. But God is. He's just waiting. He loves it because His Son paid a price for that forgiveness of his own life. And when we refuse to look at him, we, the writer of Hebrews says we trample on the blood, the spilled blood of Christ. Can you imagine? I mean, this is nowhere near that image, but can you imagine just if we had communion up here and just somebody just threw it on the floor and just, this is so stupid. I mean, I'd, I might tackle them. I don't know. So, somebody might have to keep me from tackling somebody like that, you know? But this is the blood of Jesus. And when we don't look to him for forgiveness, when, when we just want to sit in our shame, just, I'm just, this is just messed up. That's not helping anything, is it? He lifts our head. 
Look at me. Look at me. Look at me and you'll see in my eyes forgiveness, grace, mercy, new life, promises that never end. We must have the fire of His presence in us. And the only way we can do that is if we spend time with Him. Period. There's no way to get it through a, a rule following lit. Look, I've, in, in my own marriage, I've tried to do all this stuff for Jessica. For whatever reason, she doesn't want me to just do all that. She actually wants me to spend time with her. Me? She wants time with me? She just wants what I can do for her. She wants me, and so does God. So does He wants us. But we, 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 we immediately just go into, okay, well, let me, let me get a pen here. I'll, I'll, I'll do better. I, I promise, Pastor. I'll do, I'll, I'll do better this week. I, I really will, God. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it done. No. No. Throw the list away. It's about a relationship. If your marriage is a bunch of lists, boy, God help you. You've missed the boat. It's a relationship. We have some people going to Emmaus. You remember the story of Emmaus in the Bible, in Luke 24? They said, did our hearts not burn within us when we were with him? Do your hearts burn for the right reasons? Not with lust, not with pride, not with the things of this world, but with Christ. When that burning starts happening in our life, you can't control it. It just has to come out. Fire is not easily controlled. Never was meant to be. And our God is an all-consuming fire. You felt this before in your life toward other people. When I see my kids in their beds, my heart just burns for them. When I see my wife in the proper light I should, my heart burns for her. For you, my heart burns for you. I pray for you. Give my life to you. Give my family to you. Burning for each other. Because this is the fire of God. He burns for us. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, right? My heart was strangely warmed. Has it been for you? Or is your heart cold today and dead? We can be lit for Jesus. I know that's a play on words, but we can be. We can be lit for Jesus today. It, it, it's not like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to work on that maybe in a couple weeks. No, today is the day of salvation. Right now, ask him. If you've got to pray right, just come on down. Discard the suckers, but come on down. Look, there's nothing more important than catching fire for Jesus today. Not only his presence is fire, but the passion of love is fire. We often represent it like that. And impurity. Fire is known for its purifying features. What is purity? Simply, one thing. I mean, literally one thing. It's, being, it's something being one thing. 
When you go to the grocery store and you get sugar, it says pure sugar. I've done it a couple times. It says pure, pure sugar. What does that mean? That there's no salt added, there's no flour added. It's pure sugar. It's one thing. We need to be about one thing. It's Jesus. I know there's all kind of stuff going on in your life, going on in my life, everybody's life. And as soon as we leave this place, we'll all be bombarded and all this. But it's got to be one thing. We've got to figure out what it means to be a stay-at-home mom and be all Jesus. We've got to mean what, what, figure out what it means to be a, working with our hands during the week at a job and be all in for Jesus. What it means to sit at a cubicle, push numbers, lead a team, whatever it is, be in the military, all in for Jesus. I don't know. I can't tell you because that's not my job. But he can tell you and he wants to tell you and he wants to show you if you'll walk with him, you'll catch fire. And you won't even have to devise a strategy. Don't sit down today and do a strategy. Sit down with him, catch fire, and then the strategy will become clear. Let's burn any boats that might be in our life that might be wanting to return us to the other side. No, let's burn those down today. Let's be a living sacrifice on the altar, all in. Let's go all the way under in his baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. And what you'll find is everything you've ever been looking for. He can do that if we'll humble ourselves today, repent of our sins and confess him as Lord and open up our heart to him. Let's do that. Amen.